Revelation chapter 9. We are well into the tribulation period, getting close to the midpoint of the tribulation, we believe. One of the things about the book of Revelation is regardless of who you talk to, and, 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 and there are a handful of really excellent Bible teachers, you know, men of God that are um, prayerful and really know the scriptures, and there are a handful that really uh, kind of stay in one camp, and, and there are other views of how this book is laid out, and um, we're, we're picking the futuristic view, which means that all the events in the book of Revelation are yet future to us. That seems like obvious to us, because that's what we've been, always been taught, and it makes the most sense. Um, and so, But there are, are other views out there concerning the organization of the book, and so I'm just going to be sharing with you what I believe to be true and, it, it, and what makes sense. Um, and... One of the rules of Bible interpretation is if the first sense makes sense, don't look for any other sense. If, the first, if you look at it and it makes sense, take it literally. Take the Bible literally unless there are reasons for you not to take it literally. And we're going to be looking at some of that stuff today because sometimes in the book of Revelation and other portions of the Bible, the, the, the author will give, make, have use of words like, as and it's like this and it, it it sounds like this and it you know and and there's a lot of similes and metaphors and you know those when you get to them it makes sense to you but otherwise take it very literally and if you do you'll find that it makes a lot more sense than if you try to spiritualize or allegorize the bible especially the book of revelation it's much clearer if you just read it the way it's supposed to be read and you take it literally except when it doesn't um when it's not supposed to be taken literally. And so we'll be looking at some of that today. And so we're well into the tribulation period. We've looked last week, if you remember, at the first... We went through the sealed judgments in chapter uh, 6. And um, and we also... Uh, last week we looked at the first four trumpet judgments. And there seems to be this wave of of judgments that God brings upon the earth at the time of the Great Tribulation, when the church has been removed. And it's, remember, remember, it's a, a judgment of God upon the earth and upon those who have rejected his only means of salvation. And that may sound like a cold God to you, but actually it's a very loving God because he gives everything that you need. He gives you everything that you need to believe by faith. He's done it all, and you make the decision. But there are those that will make the decision not to trust in Christ. It's a very foolish decision. When you look at the Bible and all the things in it and all that God has done for us, it's very foolish to say, no, I've got this covered. I can take care of this. If you're one of those people, you're in very grave danger. You need to come to Christ. You need to repent of your sin. You need to turn away from that, that obstinate, cold heart that we all are susceptible of having. We must turn to Christ. You must, Jesus said to Nicodemus, a very religious man, Nicodemus, you must be born again. It's not an option. If you, you love God, Nicodemus, I know you do. I've seen your devotion, but your devotion is not going to get you to heaven. Your belief in me, however, Jesus said, will. Because what I'm going to accomplish on the cross, it's been foreshadowed and spoken of in the prophets of the past. All of that's coming to pass very soon. You put your trust in me and you will be among those who will be in heaven. And so it's important for us to do that. 
important for us to do that. And Jesus said of this time that we're looking at that if he didn't return at the end of it, if he didn't cut it short, that nobody would survive this period of judgment that's coming. And judgment is, is coming, folks. It's coming. It's the thing that we don't like to talk about. Nobody wants to talk about it. I'd much rather say it. there's pie in the sky and ice cream, and it's always going to be that way, starting right now. It's just going to be pie and ice cream from now on. I mean, that'd be great. But it's not. I don't make the rules. God makes the rules. It behooves us to listen to him, the author and the creator of all things. We are, like I said, we're in this uh, getting close to the midpoint of the tribulation period, a time uh, on the earth that is going to be horrible. And the passage that we're looking at this morning is going to be, the scene is going to be on earth. You'll rec- you remember, excuse me, that the book of Revelation is broken up into two different scenes, really, uh, the heavenly scene and the earthly scene, and it goes back and forth between those scenes all throughout the book. There's things that happen in heaven, there are things that happen on earth, and it goes back and forth, and it's interesting that it happens 14 times, which is a multiple of seven, which we know is a number of perfection. You'll notice that the book of Revelation is loaded with those kinds of things, and uh, God is, uh, he knows exactly what he's doing. And last Sunday, we looked at the first four trumpets. And these first four trumpet judgments that God was bringing upon the earth really uh, judged the earth itself, the, 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 the land itself, the vegetation, the seas, even the things in the heavens were judged. And now we get to this trumpet, this fifth trumpet here in Revelation 9. And we still have three more trumpets, the fifth, sixth, and the seventh. And they're different because these now, these last three trumpet judgments, also called the three woes, are going to be specific against humanity, against the person themselves. It's going to be demonic oppression, demonic uh, oppression against people. And God is going to allow that. Again, it's, it's referred to these last four trumpets are the, the, the final three woes. And then we get into the, um, the bowl judgments, which are the final judgments. And I know it sounds a little weird, um, but before we get into this this morning, I want to bring to your attention a slide. And that is in Ephesians Paul, writing to them, says this. He says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And that's a really good verse for us to remember today because what we're getting into in chapter 9 is really demonic activity flagrantly open on the earth. You think it's bad now. You think that the riots that we've seen with uh, Antifa and Black Lives Matter and all of these things that are happening right now, you think it's bad now. Well, there's coming a time where demons will be on the earth in physical form and they will be attacking certain individuals. And this is horrific for us to consider. This sounds like a science fiction movie, certainly. But this is true. This is what's coming And it's not a good thing. I want to back up to chapter 8, verse 13, really quick. 
And it says, And I looked, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. So what this is referring to is what we know as the three woes. If you look, you'll see that we we looked at the seven seals, and then upon the seventh seal, upon the opening of that, opened up a seven trumpet judgments. And the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpet are also called three woes. And so we have the first and the second and the third woe, which are really the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpet. And remember that at the end of that seventh woe or that seventh trumpet unleashes another set, a final set of seven judgments called the bull judgments or the vile judgments. And these will be the final judgments that will come upon the earth before Jesus Christ physically comes to the earth, before he physically comes to the earth. And when we look at these three woes, you may be wondering, well, where in the scripture here in Revelation do we speak of those or where, what, what, what do they mean? The very first one is the one we're looking at this morning, Revelation chapter 9 verses 1 through 11. We'll see that. And then the second woe will be Revelation chapter 9, verse 13, down through uh, chapter 11, verse 14. And then the third woe is something that's not explicitly stated like the other two, but they are nonetheless a uh, woes or judgments of God. And we can safely say, and we can't be dogmatic about this at all, but it's very possible that this third woe really begins at the seventh trumpet judgment, which we will look at in a couple of weeks, beginning in chapter 11, verse 15. And that third woe could go until the end of chapter 12, or it could be uh, to go on to, um, or, or be Revelation chapter 16, or even Revelation chapter 16 through 19. That may sound a little confusing to you, and it is only because the Bible doesn't tell us here exactly when that third woe ends. So I have to believe that after what happens in the second woe, everything afterward is probably the third woe, and it's all combined into one thing. And and it could be that those last seven bull judgments are the final woe, if you will, because it's going to be a hammer blow on the human race. It's going to be quick, and it's going to be devastating. And these are the ones where Jesus said if he didn't return, nobody would survive it. And so this is what we look at here, the... uh, you know, these three woes and what they represent. Let's look at Revelation chapter 9 and let's just, uh, let's begin in it. It says, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Now, notice that it says the star had fallen It doesn't say that it's falling. John, when he saw this, didn't see the star falling himself. The star had already fell to the earth. And so we have to look at what this star is. Notice, it it personifies it. So we know that this is not just some heavenly body like a a meteor or a a falling star, a a rock from heaven. Because it says, and I saw, saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit, to the abuso, to the abyss. And so whoever this star is, is a person, it's a male, it's, it, there's some, it's a, 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 a being of some kind. And Isaiah, it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? 
How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. Now, Lucifer is also called the day star. And uh, this could actually be him. It's, uh, there's certainly scriptures that could corroborate this potentially being the person who is being cast out of heaven. We know that um, John, in, in, in Revelation chapter 12, as we will get there, it's one of those chapters that's really a summary chapter. What does it say in, in that chapter in Revelation 12? Let me just read you the verses 7 through 9. It says that war broke out in heaven, and Michael, who's the archangel, and his angels fought with the dragon, who we know as Satan. And the dragon and his angels, meaning the demons, they fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found in them from heaven any longer, for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And so it's very possible that this angel, this star, could be Satan himself. There's some other things that we can consider that would corroborate that. In Luke chapter 10, remember Jesus speaking. He said to them, to his disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And so is it possible? I think it is possible. Not not completely sure if that is. And again, this is one of those things where we can't be dogmatic. We can't just put a stake in the ground. I love it when there are times like that. This is not one of them. You know, one of the hard things about... um, being a student of the Bible, is there's going to come times when you read things that just aren't going to make complete sense to you. And remember, we're looking at things that are yet future to us after the church is removed. So when these things do occur, if we were to have, when they do occur, we're going to be able to look and say, oh, that's what that meant. (laughs) Wow, I never even considered that. And it was probably more literal than what we think. It'll probably be more literal than what we think. So not sure if this is Satan. It doesn't really matter, I guess. But whoever this being is, he's going to open up the bottomless pit. Perhaps he will be a high-ranking demonic being. Maybe not Satan himself. Maybe. Don't really know. But based on this star, because this star is personified and is a male, and based on the two passages that we just looked at, it seems possible that it could be. It could be. Because in Revelation chapter 9, here at the bottom of the, of the chapter, we'll, we'll get there, it says that, that he, they had these, these beings that we're going to look at today, these demonic beings, they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. Now just because this being in verse 1, this star had the key to the bottomless pit, doesn't necessarily mean that he's the, the angel or the king over these people or these demons. Does that make any sense? Just because you have a key to something doesn't mean you're the, the, uh, the king over these demonic beings that we're going to read about in chapter 9. So we really don't know. We really don't know. And see, that's a good way to read the Bible. Read it literally and look at it. And um, sometimes you can't come to conclusions. Sometimes you can. But notice, to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. This word is the, the abyssos, or we call it the abyss. This is some kind of, 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 of shaft, a, a channel in the earth. And it, it's in the earth, evidently. We just haven't discovered it, and it won't be discovered until this time. But there is evidently a shaft that goes right down to the center of the earth, where is the abode of the dead, and certainly the abode of demons that God has put in judgment, in chains, reserving them for 
judgment. And I believe we're going to look at some passages today that what is happening in Revelation 9 here is the result of that. There were times when God spoke about he put certain angels in everlasting chains unto the judgment of the great day. We're going to be reading about it right now because I believe that that this is the time when God is going to allow those demonic beings to be released upon the earth, which is something that nobody has seen before. We haven't experienced anything this like this before. It's going to be very, very interesting. And there's also interesting, I'm going to bring something up on the screen for you. In Revelation chapter 20, there's another passage that sounds very similar to this one in chapter 9, but they are completely two different people, and I think you'll be able to see why that is. In Revelation chapter 20, this is uh, during the time of... uh, the millennial reign when Satan will be bound. But it says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, an angel this time, not a star, but an angel, having the key to the bottomless pit, to the abyss, to the abuso, and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of that dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. And he bound him for a thousand years, and he cast him into the bottomless pit, the abuso, and shut him up and set a seal on him. And so this is at the very end um, um, at the very end of the book of Revelation, he's going to put him in the bottomless pit, shut him up for a thousand years until the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. We'll look at that more. But does this being who is coming down from heaven with the chain, does that sound like Satan himself? It can't be because he's the one who is chaining Satan. Does that make sense? But it sounds very familiar to what we're reading about here, but in Revelation 9, it says that a star fell from heaven, and we don't know who he is, but he was given the key, which means that he doesn't have all authority. Some people give the devil too much credit. They think that he's got all this power. Believe me, apart from Christ, you and I are powerless against him. But God is all-powerful, and God is the one who gives the keys. Remember, Jesus said, I have the keys to death and hell. And so whoever this angel is, or this star, he gives him the keys and says, and I want you to go open that up because there's a time, and it's right now, that they should be released to be upon the earth because that's what God had told us was going to happen. So what he's told us was going to happen. In fact, if you remember in Luke's Gospel that Jesus went across from the Galilee over to the east side of the, of the, of the Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, and uh, we visit this place when we go to Israel, the, the Gadarenes, and there's tombs in the, in the sides of the mountains. You can see them there even today. It says that when they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee, and when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time, and he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house but in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice says, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. And notice Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because the man was possessed by a demon. So the demon is speaking to Jesus. And the demon says, we are legion because many demons had entered him. A legion is a thousand. So this man was completely 
marinated with demons. <laughs> and they begged him that he would not command them to go into the abyss. I bring that up because this is the abode of the devils, abode of the demons. And God has reserved this place for such a time as this. Verse 2, and it says, And he opened the bottomless pit, this angel, or this, this star, this, this, this being, and smoke arose out of the air like the smoke of a great furnace, and so the sun and the air were darkened as the scorpions of the earth have power. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I skipped over the verse, didn't I? As the pit like the, let's just start over again, shall we? Verse 2, verse 2, here we go. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. And then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth had power. Notice the word as. That's a simile, isn't it? So these aren't literal. He's trying to describe, John is trying to describe what he's seeing, these demonic beings that he's never seen before. They're either uh, spirits that have uh, possessed creatures, but more than likely these are just demonic creatures that we've never seen before. And now John is trying his best to describe what they are. And all he can do is use similes and metaphors, mainly similes. In fact, in this chapter, there are more similes than any other chapter in the Bible because it's such a weird sort of thing. This is like a trip. <laughs> to read this, to look at this. This is amazing. And he says, They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Locusts are greatly feared uh, in the Middle East and the Near East and in Africa, and they can wipe out leaf and twig for hundreds and thousands of miles, square miles, they'll just ravage everything and they'll descend upon the area in tens of millions and totally devastate food supplies. You recall just not recently, uh, or recently, I'm sorry, in February of, two, of 2020, there was a locust plague in East Africa, in Somalia, in Kenya, in Ethiopia. It, was, it wreaked havoc and destroyed hundreds, if not thousands, of square miles of vegetation. It says uh, concerning this infestation that was in that area at that time just a few months ago that uh, an average swarm can destroy crops sufficiently to feed 2,500 people for a year. That's how devastating these things can be. And it was the worst in Kenya, um, the worst infestation in Kenya for 70 years and the worst in Somalia and Ethiopia for 25 years. They never hadn't seen like something like that in a very, very long time. And there were hundreds of of billions of these locusts. And these are physical locusts that we know, the little guys with the wings and, the, and, and all these. That, to me, makes sense. I look at them and I'm like, that I can understand. But notice that these weren't allowed to eat vegetation. So there's something really interesting because they're, they're totally abnormal. It's because they're not real locusts. Real locusts eat vegetation. These don't eat vegetation. And, they don't, and locusts don't harm man either. They don't have uh, teeth to bite man. They may have teeth, but they don't attack human beings. If you're in a swarm of them, you may get their wings you know, hitting you and stuff like that, but they don't attack people. They're herbivores. But now these are going to come and they are going to attack people. They're going to have stings in their tails 
and it's going to be like a, like a scorpion sting. If you've ever been stung by a scorpion, uh, there, it's really bad, and it can be fatal for if you're really young. But most of the time, you just writhe in pain, foaming at the mouth, because the pain is so intense. I've never been stung by a scorpion. I'd imagine childbirth is very similar to, be, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to seeing what, what ladies have to go through. But these, their main purpose is to hurt mankind for five months. For five months. And they are going to harm, notice verse 4 again, they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men, meaning men and women, who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Evidently, the only ones... Uh, that we know about that were sealed were the 144,000. Remember in Revelation 7, oh, last week we looked at that. There were ones sealed in their foreheads. And uh, it says, Then I saw another angel ascending from the east. This is Revelation chapter 7, verse 2. I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. He cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees. Till what? Till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And John says, And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000, 12,000 of each of the tribes of Israel. And so these are going to be unaffected by these demon hordes that will be coming upon the earth at this time. Doesn't that sound horrible? And, and think about this. I mean, as I read these things, and I, as I read things that are coming, this ought to do something in me. I'm glad that the Bible records it for us because as Christians, if we really look at this and how can we idly stand by friends, family, co-workers, how can we idly stand by knowing the things that are coming and say, well, it really doesn't matter if they don't turn, you know, whatever, you know, I pray that this stirs us evangelistically. I pray that it stirs us to get the message out. Do you want anyone in your family to go through this? Do you want any co-worker? I'd much rather tell them now and have them get a little upset with me because nobody likes to talk about religion. Well, guess what? This is not religion. This is a relationship with God. But people don't want to talk about it. But listen, let them be angry. They need to know this because this is what's coming. You can choose not to believe it, but guess what? It is coming like a freight train, and there's nothing, there's no one that will stop it, that can stop it. Let these things stir you up. I pray that it does the same in me too. Let it stir us up and let us get out there and tell the truth. And you know what? It is really hard today because there's such a lethargy in the church. There's such a lethargy out in the world. You know, everyone's just kind of... Uh, you know, that's the kind of prevailing feeling. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? People are just tired. They're wore out. They're introspective. They're introverted. They look inward. They're no longer looking outward. And God is saying, church, wake up. We need to wake up. And we need to get to be about his business. Will you be a part of that army? We don't carry guns. We're not militia men. Our greatest weapon is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is more powerful than a nuclear bomb. A nuclear bomb can blow this book to smithereens, but guess what? The Word of God abides forever after all the bombs have gone off. Isn't that what Jesus said? 
There's nothing, no weapon that's greater than the word of God. And yet we use it so sparingly. Use it, folks. Let's get out there and use it. Tell people the truth. Do not let yourself get into a lethargy. We need to break out of it. Notice verse 5, they were given, they were not given authority. Notice, again, they are given authority. But there's certain things that they cannot do. They were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. And their torment was like, there's our simile again, it was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. So we know that this is demonic oppression. Notice the restraint again that they had over them, that God placed upon them. They were limited in their intensity. They were limited in the duration of the time that they would torment. They were not allowed to attack certain individuals, only those who were not sealed by God. And they were not allowed to kill a person. The Lord knows the limits and expertly administers them. You recall in the book of Job that Job, um, that the, uh, the angels... Uh, I came up to Job, and let me just read the first one to you, but there's two verses up here, but I'll just read the one. Remember, Satan is not a lone wolf. He is, has authority over him. He cannot do what he pleases. And here is a good verse to go to, two verses actually, but I'm just going to read the one. Remember when it says, there was a day in Job chapter 1, verse 6. When the sons of God came to present themselves, these are angels, before God, and Satan also came among them. Notice Satan was allowed to be in heaven. He still is, actually, until he's cast out of heaven in the future. He's able to stand before God and report to duty for God to allow him to do certain things. And here it is in Job. And the Lord said to him, from where do you come from? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, and and I love this, I can imagine Job going, could you consider someone else? Could you have considered somebody else? Lord, why me? Why me? And God says, oh, Job, there's so much stuff, so much work I've yet to do in you. And I'm going to do it. You're going to be hurt and you're going to be devastated, but I'm going, to, I'm going to be with you through it. I'm going to get you through it. And on the other end, you are going to be a very blessed man. You're going to have a knowledge and an experience with me. You're going to know me more than most people on the earth, probably more than anybody else on the earth, because of the valleys that I brought you through. And I was able to be your God and you didn't blaspheme my holy name. But what does it say? And so the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and an upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? And Satan answered the Lord and says, yeah, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. (laughs) And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Go ahead. Only do not lay a hand on his person. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Notice, he's on a leash. God allowed him to go a certain distance, just like these five months of torment. It's measured. Aren't you glad that it's measured? Aren't you glad that you know these things? To me, it's a real blessing to be a child of God and to read the Bible, especially as we get into these really difficult chapters in the Bible. You know, in Judges, this last, uh, these last two Thursdays, we've been talking about probably one of the most horrific chapters in the Bible, chapter 19 and 20, and now we're in Revelation on Sunday morning, and I'm like, man, Lord, I'm really glad when we get into the, the fluffy stuff, because these are hard. These are hard chapters. 
But notice in verse 6 in our text this morning, it says, In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. It's interesting that when a person is possessed by a demon, that they no longer have control over themselves. They no longer have free will, even to commit suicide. And at this time, demon possession will be rampant. And demons will be freely able to attack individuals. What a horrible judgment. It really is. It's horrible. And evidently they will seek to kill themselves with, by whatever means they will be able to end their life. And you know, it is interesting that there is an anguish, isn't there? Have you ever been in such pain? And I've known people who have been in this, this kind of pain. I've, 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 I've heard of people when they get old, they get so old, they're just like, I just want to go. I've known so many older people who, have, who are with the Lord now that they got to the point where they're just like, you know what? I don't know why God has me here anymore. I just don't want to be here. I'm in such pain. I feel like I've got no use. I'm just laying around existing. Lord, take me home. Why am I here? And there are other people who are in pain, in severe pain. Cancer is eating away at them, and there's nothing the doctors can do. Oxycodone doesn't even put a dent in the pain, and they're writhing in pain every day, and they're like, Lord, just kill me, please, in your mercy, take my life. Have you heard of people like that? I have. In this time period that we're talking about, people are going to be wanting to die because of all the things that have happened and all the things that are happening. And believe me, if they're, they're going to be able to look and see, oh, it gets even better because now after this, we've got two more woes and then we got the bold judgments. I'd like to check out now if I could. <laughs> I, want my, I want my button. <laughs> Wouldn't you? I probably would too. But suffering, it brings out that 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 desire just to want to depart. And people are going to want to do that, and they will not be able to. I don't understand how that's going to happen. Either their, their spirit and their soul maybe won't be able to leave their body, and they won't be able to die physically. God's just, you know, God is able. If somebody shoots themselves, sorry to be so graphic, he can heal the important things and allow them to live. He can give the devils, these demons, he can give them authority to do that if he so chooses. Where under normal processes, we'd be long gone, but God could give them the power or do it himself. They try to take their life, he says, I'm not going to allow it. Notice in verse 7, we're going to see a lot of these similes here, because again, John's trying to describe these creatures, these demonic beings in the, in the abuso, in the shaft in the earth. The shape of the locust was like, underline these, I'm going to emphasize them, underline them in your Bible. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. Notice he's trying to describe this in, in, in words the best he can. And they had hair, verse 8, like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. Does this sound like a locust to you? I was looking at a picture close up of a locust the last couple days, and they don't look anything like this. They look very different. So we're talking about something different here. This is demonic in nature. These creatures don't exist. But they're going to be like it. They're going to, they're going to have a similarity about them. And they had breastplates like 
breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle, and they had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men for five months. Who are these creatures? They certainly are demonic. They're fallen angels that God has placed in everlasting chains. Remember in the, in the book of Noah in chapter 6, these these Nephilim and these angels that um, either demon-possessed or physically incarnate somehow, God cast these demons into hell. He cast them into this abyss that we are talking about, that these things are coming out of. And these beings are now able to come up embodied in a new form that are going to administer pain to men who have not been sealed, men and women who have not been sealed on the earth at that time. In fact, if you remember in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, what does it say? It says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell or to Tartarus, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. For judgment for who? For the people on the earth. We're reading about it right now. He's using them for judgment. Ultimately, they will be judged as well, but he's going to use them for judgment upon the earth. What does it say in Jude? There's also a verse in Jude, verse 5 and 6. says, But I want to remind you, Jude says, Jesus is half-brother. I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but they left their own abode. Notice again, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And that is where we are at. Does that make sense? So these, these demonic beings are now going to be let loose, the ones that God had already put in everlasting chains for the judgment of the great day, which is what we are looking at right now. And notice their power was to hurt men for five months. It's interesting because a locust, the lifespan, the average lifespan of a locust is from May to October, a five-month period. So there's some similarities here, but there's some very stark differences. Notice verse 11. And they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. Could this be Satan? We don't really know. It could be a high-ranking demonic being. Could be his right-hand man. We know, based on Daniel, there are different... uh, Authorities in heaven, in the angelic realm, as well as in the satanic realm. There are archangels, there are other angels, angels with specific duties, responsibilities. So there's a hierarchy of power and the things that they're able to do. And there certainly is for the demonic realm too. Could it be that this is one of those uh, henchmen of the devils? Could it be him himself? We don't really know. But it says, it's interesting here, that they had a king over them. A a king over them. But Proverbs says... (laughs) That the locusts have no king, yet they all advance in ranks. In Proverbs 30, verse 27. So these, again, are different because they do have a king over them. And his name in the Hebrew is Abaddon. And in the Greek, his name is Apollyon. They both mean the same thing, a destroyer. Could it be Satan? It could be. We know that he's a destroyer. He's a deceiver. He's a hater of all things that are good. One woe is past, notice verse 12. Behold, still 
Two more woes are coming after these things. Metatauta, after these things. One woe is past. So that was the first woe. One woe is past, but still two more woes are coming after these things. And then as we look at verse 13, we see the sixth trumpet sounding. And this sixth trumpet is the beginning of the second woe. And this is going to last until chapter 11, verse 14. This woe, and it's actually divided up into a couple different areas, but we won't go into there. We'll look at that next week. But uh, these woes are things that are uh, horrible things. It's, it's grief beyond measure. This is the kind of thing. Jesus said it in, in Matthew's gospel. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which are done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have long repented in sackcloth and ashes. Same kind of thing, these woes. These griefs of great of a great nature, and we're looking at the second one now here in this second section of the book of Revelation. Notice what it says: the sixth trumpet or the second woe. Now, in this second woe, we're going to see at least two parts to this woe. The first one is what we're going to see here: these four angels, these four demons that we're going to look at, and the armies that are released to kill a third of mankind, and we'll also look. In verse 11, or in chapter 11, about the torment that the two witnesses that are going to be on the earth during those times, they're going to torment the earth. And certainly those could be part of the woe as well. Because at the very end of chapter, uh, or not the end of chapter 11, but in verse 14 of chapter 11, notice it says, The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. So we can assume that everything prior to this uh, up to uh, chapter 9, verse 13. Everything in between uh, chapter 9, verse 13, up until 11, verse 14. That is really the woe, the second woe. And so notice with me, in verse 13, it says, The six angels sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. And this is the altar of incense that is before God, just like in the tabernacle. You remember when you walked into the tabernacle, the lampstand was on the, on the left hand, the table of showbread on the right, and right in front of you would be the table or the altar of incense, and then a big veil, and then on the other side of that veil would be the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies. So this altar of incense where the, the prayers of the saints were offered earlier in the book of Revelation, this is where this command comes from. And, and, and could it be that it's kind of interesting here that it says that I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar. Could it be a prayer that had been offered? In fact, we know that it was because in Revelation chapter 16, what does it say? Or I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 6. We already looked at this, but those tribulation saints in Revelation chapter 6 that were martyred, what did they say? What did they pray? What did they cry? They said this. They cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Well, guess what? The Lord is getting ready to answer. He has been answering, but he's going to answer it even more. He's going to continue with it now. And so he says to the seventh or the, the sixth angel who had the trumpet, and here's the directions. Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Release the four angels that are bound at the river Euphrates. Does this sound like angels, godly angels, good angels? Have you ever known a good angel to be bound? And we're going to see that these angels are also going to bring another horde of demons upon the earth. 
They're going to be in the 200 million. That's how many there are going to be. These aren't holy angels. These are demon angels because they're bound at the great river Euphrates. This river Euphrates starts up in, up in Turkey and it, and, and it flows from uh, north to southeast and it empties out in the Persian Gulf. It's a freshwater uh, area. And these four angels are not the same as those in Revelation 7. These are evil. These are malevolent. And they're designed to kill millions of people on the earth. And... Um, and so let's look at verse 15. So the four angels who had been prepared, notice, notice the restraint on them. They had been prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year, a very specific time in history. They were held under judgment, and now God is going to cause them to come forth. It's going to be measured. It's going to be known by God. Nobody knows this except for God. The timing of it is going to be orchestrated by him. I love that about God. I, I can't say that enough. I just love the fact that he is in control. He's in sovereign control. Even that little boy recently, have you heard about that in North Carolina? A little five-year-old boy is driving his, his tricycle, and some guy comes up point blank and shoots the boy in the head. We look at that and we're like, how can this? <laughs> and most news won't cover it. Doesn't fit their narrative anymore. This little boy's in heaven. Horrible. God knew. God didn't make it happen. God allowed it to happen. Do you understand the difference? This man who killed that little boy was a, a deranged man. On drugs, they think. God did not cause this man to do it. He did it of his own will, and he will pay the price for that. I hope, pray for him. I pray that he gets saved. But that little boy is in Jesus' arms right now. Everything is in complete control. God knows. We don't need to fear. Now the number, verse 16, of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them, and thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, sulfur yellow, and the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. Remember, he's using similes here, trying to get you to understand that what these things look like. They're, they're not anything like we've ever heard. They're not like anything we've ever seen. So these are demonic in nature, and they have one purpose, and that is to kill. And it says that they, out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. And, you know, we're talking about stuff that's in the future yet, folks, and yet we have no clue right now what this is really all about. But we know that God is in control. He prepared them for a day, for a month, for a year. There was a specific time, a specific time, And there are certainly nations now that have human capacity to fulfill these things, if they indeed are human. I don't believe they are human. But you look at China and India, they have millions and millions and millions of people. An army like this today would be possible. But again, I don't believe that these, this army is human. Because these angels, these demons bring forth 
summon these horsemen that look very different from anything, and they're, they're designed to kill. And by these plagues, verse 18, a third of mankind was killed by the fire, by the smoke, and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. This makes it even more twisted, doesn't it? Because now, you know, if you thought it was a horseman, now we got, oh, they got tails. And for their tails are are like serpents. Having heads with many of them, they do harm. Now the picture changes even, it gets even more twisted, doesn't it? It gets kind of even more weird. So we don't know what these beings are, but I believe they're demonic. In fact, this whole chapter is demonic activity. And that's why we read Ephesians 6 in the very beginning. We don't fight against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers and wicked places, principalities and darkness that are well organized, and they have a king over them, Satan. But brothers and sisters, we don't have to worry about these things. If you're a child of God, you have no fear of these things. Number one, you won't be here on the earth when these things happen. And hopefully will none of your loved ones, your family members, your aunts, your uncles, your grandparents, your young kids, your grandkids, hopefully nobody will be left behind to experience these things. Because this is reality. This is reality. This is what will happen. And we have to, again, we have to wake up. We have to wake up. But notice that the last two verses of the chapter, but the rest of mankind, notice the obstinance in the human heart. And I've known this myself, because <laughs> I can be like that. I can have a heart of stone and pray for me that God would continue to soften my heart. And I'll pray for you too. The world has a way of making us jaded. When you go through difficulties, when you see horrible things, it'll either crush you or you put up a wall for defense. You've known people like that? Many of us in this room have these walls of defense up. We don't let anybody in. It's because our heart has become hardened. We do that for fear of being exposed. We do that for fear of being hurt again. And I understand that. But let the Lord soften your heart. Pray for me that my heart would be soft, that it wouldn't get hard. And if it is hard, that God would soften it. But notice the result of all of these things. Notice verse 20. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, they did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold and silver and brass, stone and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. Now, we don't worship teraphim anymore, but there's a lot of worship going on today. It could be the thing that's sitting in your driveway. It could be the thing that you walk into when you leave here. It could be a home. It could be anything. It could be gold. It could be silver. Your investments, those things can be idols. They can be things that we would do anything to protect, and don't you ever touch them. They can be have that much of a hold on us, so much so that we're willing to do anything to keep them, anything to keep the peace, anything to keep the status quo We'll do anything. 
and they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. And you look at this, and this is all works of the flesh, aren't they? It goes right back to the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou, you know, uh, thou shalt not steal. I said, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not murder. Adultery, fornication. And yet these things, I look at this list here, you know, when it says sorceries, actually it's interesting. This word sorcery is the Greek word pharmakia, where we get pharmacy from. These are drug abusers. These are people who are on drugs and they will not turn. Even at this time, can you imagine? Certainly there's going to be no hope. The people who are alive, they're just going to be sitting, in a, you know, they're going to be sitting around with a needle in their arm, just trying to escape from the madness and the pain and the anguish that they see of others going through, knowing that it's coming for them too if they don't turn. But yet they won't turn. What does God have to do? What does God have to do? I'm so thankful I came to the Lord in a time of relative peace. There was a war going on for my soul, and there's certainly a war going in, in, on inside of me of my will, who I'm going to serve, either myself or the devil, or I'm going to serve the Lord. Got to serve somebody. Bob Dylan said it. You're going to serve somebody. And they did not repent of their murders, their drug abuse, their sorceries, their sexual immorality. Is anything like that happening in the world today? I, don't, I think it's just a myth. I don't think it's really happening. Of course it is. It's getting worse and worse. And even at the end, when all these things are happening, people are just, that's the only source of pleasure that they got is the instant shots, the sex, the drugs. They're angry, they satisfy it by murdering. They want something, they just go out and get it. They smash the window. They put on their Antifa mask and they break in and they go into Best Buy. It's okay, they got insurance, right? <laughs> Can you believe that? They're actually justifying the things they're doing, saying these, these places have insurance. That's what it's there for. Really? Let's end with this. In Galatians chapter 5, notice, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery. And as we look at some of these things, I've underlined the ones that really fit what we're talking about right here. The murders, the sorceries, the drug abuse, sexual immorality, and thieving. The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness. This wonderful list we have before us, doesn't that make you feel good inside? Lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, there's our word again, pharmakia, drug abuse, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions. If you're selfish, you're going to grab stuff. You're going to thief, and you're going to be a thief. Dissensions, heresies, envies. You want something, just go get it. You envy it, you have a selfish ambition, go get it for yourself. Just break the window. They've got insurance. Envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you before, and just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Will not inherit the kingdom. So again, let's stand together and May these things that we're reading, I mean, it's, as we read them, it's difficult for us. 
But again, you know one thing that, that is better than fear? Much better than fear. You know, as I read these things, as we read these things, they're pretty fearful, aren't they? There is a motivation in fear, and sometimes it's not bad. But you know what the greatest thing is over fear, and that's love. See, because I may have a fear of something, but when I have love governing me and love guiding me, love motivating me, all of a sudden it's a whole different ball game. Even my demeanor toward a person changes when it's motivated out of love. See, we don't go around sharing these things to scare people to death. They need to hear it because that's what's coming. But guess what? Wrap it all up in love and say, listen, none of this has to happen to you or anybody you know. God is a God of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That is the greatest thing. Love trumps all. The greatest of these is faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these three is love. Agape love. Let that challenge us today. Let's be a people of love. It's sometimes, it almost seems like a paradox, doesn't it? That when you're motivated by love, how can I share such difficult things? You don't have to share the nitty and gritty of it right off the bat, but people do need to know that there is a judgment, an ultimate judgment. And you decide where you make that, where you're going to be. We can't hide that from them. There's no way to sanitize the gospel. It's good news because first, there's really, really, really bad news. But the wonderful news of Jesus Christ and his salvation is a thing that tops it all. And so let love be the the marker of your life. Let love be the thing that just grabs a hold of you. Like Paul said, he says, it's a love of God that constrains me. It's the thing that motivates me. It's the thing that gets me up in the morning. Oh God, we pray that for all of us today. Lord, that we would be motivated by your spirit, that we'd be motivated by love, not out of fear. Lord, we have a world that's filled with fear right now, but God, you've given us the church peace. And Lord, for those of us who don't have that peace, it's because we've neglected it. We've turned away from the fountain of living waters. Lord, help us to return today and not be fearful any longer, but to trust you, to trust you and and to, to know you even better, Father. So Lord, make this chapter, make these chapters that we're reading, uh, may it spur us to evangelism, to share the truth with those around us, Lord. We love you, and we thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.